Today we've got Trayton Lapsovich on the podcast. He's one of those young phenoms. He's 19 years old now, but he was racing a full-size stock car at 10 years old and winning. He won a uh, NASCAR-sanctioned series championship at 11 years old uh, and has been running late models and now the Canadian NASCAR series ever since. He won two races last year. He's won some big sim races online, uh, so he's someone you guys should be paying attention to as his career progresses. Enjoy. Last I saw on your social media, you were like in Germany, eye racing. What's the deal there? Yeah, so I went to Germany with D-Box. Uh, they do like the haptics for like the motion simulator and what's stuff like hang that. On, what's haptics? Um, it's like for the eye racing rigs, they got the motion on them. Kay. So D-Box, like they partner with the rig companies. In this case, it was Vasaro, uh, which is a uh, a rig manufacturer out of uh, they're out of England. Okay. Um, so and, it's like and it's for people who don't know, the rig is what you're sitting in, yes, right? Exactly. Okay. So it's like what's simulating the real cockpit of a car, right? Basically. And D Box is is doing the motion for these rigs. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's right. So D Box does all the uh, the programming as well as like the physical features for the rig that make the rig move, like with the track when you're uh, using it on. I, I mean, mainly iRacing, but, like, it's they use it for the other simulators, too, like R-Factor and uh, Aesthetic Corsa, stuff like that, too. Right, so they hosted a series, and you went over to, like, the Nürburgring or yeah. Nuremberg to race there? Yeah, so they hosted the International Series uh, along with NASCAR, so that was, like, the Pinty's guys, uh, a couple Pinty's guys, Euro guys, and uh, also from the Mexican Series as well. Okay, so only, only non-Americans. Only non-Americans. Okay, yeah, got that's it. right. As well as, like, there were some guys from the Drive for, Di for Diversity program as well. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, so they there was a big sim racing conference in Nuremberg, Germany. Uh, ADAC sim racing. I Honestly, I didn't realize how big it was until I got there. Um, it was huge. Um, so what, what they had me do was we actually set up a rig on the stage and I raced live in the Daytona race in this international series on the on the stage. So it was a it was a cool experience. So there was like there was an audience watching you on the sim, like not a virtual audience, like a live like audience. Like a live audience, yeah. Wow. And you raced oh, and so it was the E NASCAR International yeah, Series and you raced right. at the Daytona Oval. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was like it, it was it was honestly the craziest thing ever. So we had like they were hosting other shows on that stage, like throughout throughout the day, like, doing other talk shows and stuff like that as well. And there was also, there was a 24-hour event going on with iRacing at the same time. So they had guys racing live, like, behind the stage, and they were broadcasting that race as well. But, uh, like, the time slot that we had to get the rig on the stage, like, we completely set up a full motion rig with three with three screens on the stage in, uh, in a time period of, like, 10 minutes. I just made it in time what? for qualifying. Uh, Miss practice. Obviously, it wasn't a problem. It was Daytona anyways. But, uh, yeah, yeah it just made it for qualifying. Um, which was a side release. And, of course, once we got it set up, we had problems. We couldn't get one of the screens working as well. So you um, ran it with three, three, three screens or yes. two screens? No. So we just got the third screen working, like, during qualifying. It, it come back on. So. Jesus. So why, like, why Germany? What was the deal there? Uh, I think, so it's just, they. I, I guess it's a yearly thing. They host a sim racing conference there. It's like... I guess conference isn't really the way to describe it, but it's like it's like similar to Motorama for people here to that like, it, but for sim racing, like they do have a car show attached with it, but mm. like all the big sim manufacturers that like not only manufacture the rigs but also the hardware, like the steering wheels, the pedals, the shifters, stuff like that, they're all there. Um, so I think that's why we ended up in Germany. Um, so it just it happens there every year. Hmm. Did you win? 
Uh, no, I finished third. Okay. Uh, I was like, I was leading the whole race and like second the whole race, but like, you know how Daytona goes, it just at the end, it gets a little hectic. So I ended up being stuffed in the fence, like with one to go, but it was still, it was a cool experience. There was about, there was about a hundred people watching it live, which was like, it, wow. was, it was definitely really cool. And like, I couldn't see them cause I was facing the other way or hear them. You're no, wearing it, headphones. Ex- exactly. So I didn't know until like, there was a lot of people clapping and cheering after the race because that was different for them, you know, because in Germany and in Europe, like, it's they're big into road racing, too. So, right. like, and being on the Oval was definitely a different scene. Well, it's certainly, like, Daytona is certainly racier than any road course. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Now, do they pay money for that series? Um, I, I think, like, they're the presenting sponsor of it. So, like, every race was broadcasted on Twitch, like, the NASCAR social media channels on Facebook, Instagram. I don't know, not Instagram, but they were live on Facebook, um, YouTube probably as well. So, I, I think that uh, I think that they do put up prizes for the drivers. Not really sure yet. I know they did last year. Right. But, uh, no, it's definitely, it's a cool deal. Hmm. Um, so, to jump into your physical racing, racing in the real world, you... Like and I and I only know you guys peripherally, like you know, just my limited experience in the Pinty series. You know, when I show up, your your dad's running there in when I did my first race in twenty eleven. Uh, but you guys are third generation or more race car drivers. Third generation. Okay. Yeah. So your grandfather, your is this your dad's dad? Yes. Okay. And what did he run? Uh, he ran street stocks at, uh, he was actually a dirt guy. It was like Speedway Park. I, I'm kind of uncertain of like the whole history of the tracks and stuff like that. I know he did a little bit of dirt, a little bit of uh, asphalt as well, but I know he probably Merrillville, uh, Flamborough. I know it was big yep. for him as well. Um, so he, he did a lot of street stock racing and that kind of passed down to my dad and his brothers as well. So there was, uh, um, obviously my uncle Jimmy and then, uh, Joe was his brother. Um, and they did the racing, uh, I forget what the series was called, a lot of road racing. Um, but in stock car stuff? In stock cars, yeah. Hmm. So all three, all, so is that it? There was just three boys? It was three boys, yeah. Okay, so you got, and then they all raced. Yeah, they all raced. Um, my dad and my Uncle Jimmy uh, did a race in the cast car, yep. uh, the cast car days, and then uh, Uncle Jimmy kind of uh didn't didn't wasn't into the racing as much I guess at that point so my dad kind of continued mm-hmm. um and obviously like into like the modern day NASCAR Canadian Tire Series Pinty Series right right now huh so your did when did your grandpa retire when when like your dad and uncles got into it or did he continue to run like till he was older see i'm not really sure about that part um i i do think that he stopped when my when my dad and brothers and my uncles got into it um that that's kind of as far as i know yeah right and then when did you know i guess like you're you've got this kind of racing family and you guys have a shop did your dad and your uncle share a shop for the cast car and, and nascar stuff so my grandfather actually owned a electrical contracting company called b&j electric so we had a shop in in hamilton a bigger shop so there was the electrical side of it so they used it for like warehousing uh housing materials stuff like that and then they had a race shop side of it too so like the the B and J business kind of function as a race shop and uh, an electrical business at the same time, um, so it was my dad uh, and my uncle racing out of the same shop like throughout the cast car days and stuff like that. And did your dad and your uncle both work for your grandfather? Uh, they did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my dad was 
worked was big into the electrical business. And then my uncle actually, he, I'm not really sure when he moved, but he moved to Elmville, uh, which is obviously north of where we live in Grimsby, uh, Grimsby Hamilton area. So he ended up starting his own Tim Hortons, uh, his own Tim Hortons franchise there. Mm. Um, and he kind of got out of the electrical side of things. Um, but my dad, um, continued it until my grandfather passed away and he, he started his own uh, company. Right. And he's, your dad still runs a business. Yeah. Yeah. My dad, he basically took the assets that B&J had and just downsized because B&J was, it was a, it was a pretty large company. They had a lot of employees that uh, did a lot of work, but uh, it wasn't just something that my dad could handle himself right away. So, uh, but he's been, he's been really busy and, and, and successful with it. Right. Now, so that's where the Tim, for people who don't know, I guess that's where the Tim Hortons connection comes in is, is Jim, yeah. your uncle. And he just had one store. Up yeah. There? Well, it even, it goes back a little uh, further than that. Actually, it's funny because me and my grandmother were talking about this the other day, but my grandfather had a really good connection with Ron Joyce um, through uh, the Tim Hortons, um, like the Tim Hortons Children's Foundation, stuff like that. Mm. Um, so they had a really good connection. Um, they, they, they went on vacation together, did all this stuff. So that's kind of where the Tim Hortons connection came into. And then my my grandfather, like um, my uncle, got set up with the with just a single Tim Hortons franchise up north. Yeah, right. And then Tim Hortons was on your dad's car forever. Yeah, Tim Hortons. I think it was like it was like a sixteen, seventeen year deal or something like that. Like it was a very long time, and it went up until my brother started uh, in the Pinty series in twenty fifteen. Right. So yeah, I remember Caden ran a Tim Hortons car, and then that deal went away. Was that like a kind of devastating for him or for how you guys kind of saw the future of your your family team going? It was. Uh, I mean, like that's kind of the whole turning point in our in all of our careers was really Tim, the loss of Tim Hortons. Uh, it had to do with an ownership change like internally. But um, no, like since then, it's been it's been it's been difficult for us for sure, because like when my dad was racing, my brother started, you could always like we always relied on Tim Hortons. Like they were a big part of our whole racing deal, especially like we were racing quarter midgets, uh, driving across the United States every single weekend. So we were spending a lot of time and money there as well. And then obviously when it came time for Caden to move up, like in not having Tim Hortons and stuff like that, it was difficult to like secure that funding to keep going further. Totally. Um, yeah. So you were, you got, uh, now your dad's kids, you guys, mm -hmm are you got there's four you guys yeah okay and you are the second oldest the second oldest yeah got it okay so Caden's your older brother who I've raced against who is um is he still the youngest guy to win a, a NASCAR race or a Pinty's race he's he's the youngest guy to win a Pinty's race and I think he's the youngest champion for sure definitely the youngest yeah. champion right now did you and him how many years apart are you guys uh we're four years apart okay so he started racing quarter midgets. Yeah. And then you were obviously tagging along and we're like, yeah, I want to race that too. Yeah. Um, so he started in quarter midgets. Um, quarter midgets was kind of different because it's like you show up and you don't only run one class. So we had Caden had three cars. And by the time I was heavy into it, like two, three years in after you advance, like through the rookie series yep. of it, which only takes like a year, um, starting at four and a half. Um, four and a half years old. Four and a half years old. So then I had three cars too. So now we were traveling around the United States with a with just a, a twenty eight foot trailer with six uh, quarter midget stuffed in it. 
Holy um, cow. So we got big into that. And then my little brother, Ryden, which is uh, he's two years younger than me, um, he was kind of just getting into the quarter midgets once Caden uh, came back to Canada to race. And then I was coming back to Canada to race. So he kind of got... He got the short end of the stick on that deal, uh, sure. definitely, because, I mean, Kate and I developed quite a bit, like, running the quarter midgets. It was a lot of good experience uh, in racing as much as we were, too. It, it helps a lot. So um, how, ma- how many races were you guys doing a year? Um, honestly, we ran every weekend in the summer for the most part, and then we've been, we've been racing um, during the winter as well. There was a winter series at the Columbus Indoors in Ohio, um, so we were racing probably every two or three weeks in the winter. Um, Holy cow. So, and I mean, that's like every time we showed up to the track, we were running at least three classes. So there was, it was three races every weekend for sure. Your dad's a madman. Yes. Yes. He's sick for it. eh? It was all my dad and and my mom. Uh, They, they did everything for us then. Wow. So quarter midgets, because I've never even seen a quarter midget race live. They're, they're like essentially like a go-kart with a roll cage yeah exactly um they're they're a um exactly how you explained it honestly like they run we run honda and deco engines yeah so there's different classes there's different restrictor plates stuff like that but for the most part we're running around little ovals always oval racing never never any road courses with quarter midgets but just like for the most part six second laps like you're just kind of holy cow it's like it's almost like they look like a slot car on a, on a track, honestly, because we're just like around and around and around. And Six like, second laps. Yes, they're hooked up, and then like, but how are you even getting passing done on uh, in those? Well, so that's what I mean. Like, there was a lot of development in in quarter midget racing because like they were never easy to pass in. Like, you always had to set the guy up. Um, obviously there was no mirrors, there was no spotters, anything like that. So it was kind of like you had that feeling when someone was at your left rear, mm. and you just knew that you had to give them the lane, but. Uh, for the most part, every time you had to pass, you had to always, and my dad always emphasized this a ton because, like, passing was the big thing. If you couldn't pass, um, you're not going to win. You're not going to win. Right. So, I mean, we always had to really swing it wide into the corner and just get that drive off um, to get underneath them because it was all momentum-based for the most part. So right. as long as you could keep your momentum up and get around someone, then you were good. But, uh, no, I think that's something that really carried along with me, like, moving into stock cars and stuff like that because, like, it's all it's all comparable. Right. I think... You know, whenever I get asked the question, similarly, like go kart racing, there's so many there's so many guys who start racing in cars and they can run a fast lap. Yep. But you know, maybe if they're lucky during a race, they're kind of early days, they're going to pass a guy mm-hmm. one time a race. Yeah. Like whereas in karting, it could be like you know you could make fifty passes over the course of a weekend. Exactly. And then you do that every weekend, and now you're you know you're good at outbreaking the guy. Uh, yeah. So Caden's running, you're running. Do you guys have, well, let's just stick to you. Do you have any major success in the quarter midgets? Like, I don't really know how competitive it is or how big a stage it is. Yeah. So, I mean, like how quarter midgets operated, like we would have a a club that we raced at. So that was for us, it was Waterford, Michigan is where we raced at, like for the most part in, in the summer, but there was also national races and then as well as grands. So, we started like we were feared, um, okay. <laughs> honestly. Like we were, we were winning a lot of races. Uh, every time we showed up to the track, we were we were running up front, or we were winning. So I, I won. I think I won four grands events, which was like the biggest stage. And these ones, like it was where you'd completely have single single uh, quarter midget qualifying, which wasn't a big thing then. Like it was for the most part, it was heat races mm. and stuff like that leading up to events. So 
you'd have the single car qualifying and then like it'd go all the way down to like the E the E main for the most Holy part. Holy cow. Um and you'd be like it'd be a full on alphabet soup similar to the chili bowl we've seen recently. But uh so we won a lo- won a few of those ones. We won on a lot of national races and the national events were basically touring series um that ran over the course of the summer yep. um, at the different tracks, like kind of in, in, in our region and surrounding regions. Right. But uh, no, we ran we ran all the way from like California. We were in Portland uh, and then all the way out east as well. Like that, it sounds like that's what you guys were doing full time. Like how did your, your dad, he's a superhero. Yeah, I mean like for the Grands events, we would be leaving on like a Monday and we'd be getting back on a Wednesday. Like it would be over a week um we'd be away for over a week and then i mean all my friends at school they knew that i was when we were racing like kind of close to home like michigan ohio indiana area they always knew that i was going to be leaving thursday like i'd be away friday so wow um it was definitely a lot to to handle like i'm sure for my parents as well but uh it was a good experience and that like what was the mindset and maybe you don't know because you were so young but what was kind of the mindset of your dad saying, hey, we're going to go race quarter midges and we're going to do it, you know, at this level. Yeah, I'm I'm really not sure how we ended up in quarter midgets, f- honestly. Like, I don't know what made him decide against go-karts. Uh, and I don't know where the connection was to quarter midgets either because... Um, is there any tracks there, in Canada? There, there is one track in Canada and it's in British Columbia. So, okay. like, there's nothing there's nothing close to home as, at all. Right. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think for the most part it was because it's... I mean, he was big into road course racing. My dad was, but right. I don't know. It had to have been something with the ovals. Uh, right, and maybe, because did he do some ovals in the NASCAR stuff? Uh, he, he did do ovals, but uh, my dad was mostly, like, he, he kind of cut his teeth doing sports car racing, right. uh, the road course stuff. But uh, So that's why I'm really not sure what the, I, I, I actually have to ask about that, like, going yeah, from quarter cause midgets. Because to, to go and make your kids oval guys. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. But like, yeah, clearly the way you put it now, like, because I've I've seen a couple of those races on YouTube or whatever, and it's it's ridiculous to try and get a pass done. And yeah, now that you put it that way, yeah, it probably builds some racecraft. So, is there a senior class for those, or once you're kind of done being a kid, is there a place to go? You know, or what was the plan? I'm not really sure that there's an age limit for quarter midgets. Like they have, they have, they have junior classes, which goes up to a certain age and then they have senior classes as well. And then they also have heavy classes okay. just because like w- when they're so light and stuff like that, the weight of the driver, I guess can, can make a lot of difference. So, um, I like, I know people that ran quarter midgets all the way up till they were 16, 17, 18 years old. I was out at 10, but, uh, I think, I think a lot of me, moving out of quarter midgets coming out to Canada. I think a lot of it had to do with Caden, honestly, because right. like there was no way that my parents could juggle or my dad could juggle specifically like running himself in the, the Canadian tire series, running Caden in like street stocks at Sunset Speedway and then also running Ryden and I like across the United States. So no that, way. at that point it was just like it was it was not really doable at all. And he did all that himself. Like you guys weren't hiring someone nope. to like a super tuner to look after nope. you and it was all him. No, we kept all the cars at our shops. Like, we had a little setup table, uh, like, literally a table, like, similar to this one. We'd set up the cars on uh, every week, and then we'd, we'd go to the track each weekend. Uh, like, my grandfather was a big part of that as well. Um, he, he would do a lot of traveling with us, too. Mm. Hmm. So, Caden comes back here to Sunset uh, because that's the next logical step in oval racing is to start at a local track and race street stocks or whatever it is. 
uh, and then you come back with him at 10 years old and you start running full-size cars at 10? Yeah, uh, my first car was a, a Nissan 240 at Sunset Speedway. I started running a mini stock. Uh, uh, I did a couple races when I was 10. Uh, I did like, there were some specials that I did, but I did a lot of practice laps prior to that. I mean, I had to have logged like over 500 laps just practicing. Really? Um, because obviously everyone was skeptical. At that time, it wasn't really as common for kids to be in stock cars that young. Well, dude, it still sounds yeah. insane. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I always say, like, oh, yeah, kids down in North Carolina, they're 12 when they yeah. get in a car. You're 10. Did you have to get, like, special permission? or? Um, I think so. I think a lot of the deal with, with the practice laps had to do with getting, like, approval of from the track and from the insurance companies and stuff like that, like, to be able to actually race in an event. Yeah. But, uh yeah, I mean, at that point, like I said, it was it wasn't it was unusual to be starting that young, and I mean, it could be comparable now too. But uh, so I mean, everyone was skeptical of me going out there at ten years old and racing. But like, I think I kind of showed kind of very soon or very early that I was comfortable racing against these guys. Right, like you're racing, you know, closer in go karts than mm. in than in a car for sure. How what what was your confidence level coming back to Canada? Like, are there any guys that you race quarter midgets against that are now you know running Xfinity or Cup kind oh, of thing? Oh, tons of them. Uh, I used to race weekly with Carson Hosevar. Okay. Um, Zeb Wise is big in the dirt scene as well. Uh, there's tons of guys. There was uh, Eric Jones was huge in the quarter midgets too. Uh, I didn't race them, but he was he ran a lot with my brother. Yep. Um. So I mean, there's there's guys that have progressed out of quarter midgets that are like they're they're doing big things. So. Um, and it's a lot of people that we know as well. So the top, so you come back here and you're, you, you expect to run up front at sunset. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew what I was getting into. Um, like I, I knew that the, the optics of it, like a 10 year old getting into a stock car was different. So I wasn't like, I wasn't going out there to, to start winning right away. Um, mm. like, I mean, by all means, I, I knew that there was a difference where I was showing up from like showing up at a quarter midget race and like ex expecting to run up front and expecting to win. Um, opposed to coming back home into a full-size car and, and racing against guys that were four or five times my age. So sure, um, I, I, I knew my expectations, like they weren't, they weren't extremely high at all. Like uh, just to be out there running and finishing good and like not being overly aggressive was the big thing because I couldn't have guys that were thinking I wasn't suitable to, to be racing that young. Right. So you ran, uh, so you started in like a, what did you call it? Four-cylinder? Yeah, uh, four-cylinder mini stock. It okay, was, mini it was stock. Nissan 240. And then how long did you run that for before you ran, like, a street stock? So, like I said, uh, at 10, I did a couple races uh, the one year, and then the next year I went full-time. Um, I won four races in the championship uh, at, at 11. 11. Okay. Um, at that time, I was the youngest, like, stock car champion in Canada. For uh, sure. Like, at a, at a local track. Um, and then I moved out of mini stocks that year, um, and I got into the street stock, the super stock, they called them at sunset. And that's kind of where we were comfortable because the mini stock racing was different for us because it wasn't really like, I don't know, I, I don't know if guys would consider the super stock a real race car, but like it was a full fabricated clip, stuff like that. It was a metric chassis. So um, the mini stock was different for us. So moving into the street stock was a little more comfortable because yeah, like that's a proper that's, car. Yeah. That's what Caden had cut his teeth into. Like Caden started right in the street stock and I was moving into the car that Caden had come out of. Yep. So like we were comfortable with it. Um, and I moved into that the, the following and year. And it was a good car. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a good car. Did that always help kind of having Kate, well, your dad and, and then I guess when you're younger, Caden really prove the equipment and the setup and 
go through that? Yeah, I mean, it definitely proved it. It obviously put some pressure, too, because, like, you know, Caden was running that same car, and Caden won the championship the year prior in, in a ton of races. So it definitely it, it, it helped because they knew the car well, and but, it, like, at the same time, it, it definitely put a little bit of pressure. Um, but, no, I, I came out. I, I won three features that year, um, so – uh, it was it was a successful year. And anyways. you won? Did you win the championship? No, I didn't win the championship okay. that year. I had some bad luck, kind of mixed in between it all. But uh, it sure. like the street stocks class at Sunset was always the class that like, I mean, it was the competitive class. We'd show up there'd be twenty five, twenty six street stocks up to thirty, like on the specials. So like, it definitely wow. wasn't uh, it wasn't a slouch class at all. Huh. So then, when do you move up to late models? Uh, late models was the following year. Um, so you're 12. So, so I, I was 12 when we got first late model. Um, we kind of, and then late models was a different animal completely because uh, it coil over, uh, it's lighter. We were mm-hmm. working with bump springs, packers, stuff like that. And that was stuff that like my dad, he didn't know about at the time because no. like there's nothing like that with the Canadian tire series car. They're big sprint cars. And uh, so that was different. Um, we had a lot of help getting into late models. Uh, Junior Hanley was a big part of it, uh, helping us as well. Um, in what sense? Uh, he helped us, like, setting up the cars at the track as well. Um, because, like I said, we just, we didn't we didn't know much about, like, the geometry of a late model. So I, I definitely, I struggled a little my first year in late models. Uh, and that was that was hard for me because, like, I went from, from running up front in the street stocks to, like, we were really happy with the top 10 in late models when it came really? to that. But we knew at the same time the car was a little old, older. older. Um, the car we started out in, like, we... We bought a perimeter chassis, which at the time was kind of like straight rail chassis were, were the thing. They're a lot uh, more left side weight and mm. uh, just they're better overall. So, um, I mean, it was just really to get our feet wet. And then we upgraded the following year and, and started to have a little bit of success. Right. How frustrating was it running a car that's not handling well? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like at the time, like where, where I didn't know if I was handling well, if or it was me, because as you mentioned, like Caden running the street stock, we knew it was a good car. So it was like, if I wasn't running well, if it was me, right. But like the late model, like at the time we weren't really, we knew that our car was a little under par compared to these other guys that were, had the newer stuff, the newer chassis stuff changes in late models fast. Like the technology advances oh, yeah. quick and it's still like that. But, uh, so, I mean, at the time we didn't really know, like, is it trading? Is it the car? But uh, we, we were running top 10. We started to, to gain a little momentum near the end of the year. And then, um, you know, getting a, a newer chassis for the following year, it kind of, it was it was a complete change of, like, view completely because that car handled <laughs> like a dream compared to okay. the fast one. So your brother jumped right to the Pinty's car, the Canadian NASCAR from street stocks? Yeah. Okay. Which is actually probably a better jump than late models. Like, it's probably more comparable. Yes, definitely. Uh, my my brother and my dad, they always say that uh, a Pinty's car is, it essentially handles like a glorified street stock in the yeah. sense that like it's similar chassis, similar geometry, but bigger motor, uh, yeah. more power. Um, so I, I think I kind of... My path moving into the late models instead of going right to the Pinty series was kind of because, like, I was I was younger, of course. I was 12. You had to be 15. You can't run a, you had to a be NASCAR run series. Yeah. Series. But uh, <laughs> I think I think once I got into late models, my dad enjoyed it. Um, yeah. So, so we had fun running the late models. It was a little less stressful than the Pinty series because, like, it's different. It's a different atmosphere com- completely. Like, you're not showing up to the track and there's stackers left, right, and center. It's, like, it's more of a, a Saturday night feel to it. And right. I think he enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a show aspect and a 
Yeah. Um, I don't know, an orderly aspect, you know, the bell rings, you got to unload and you, you got to have some guys there to yeah. help you out too. It's, it's changed a little bit now. Like it's definitely like the APC series is gaining, they're gaining quite a bit of traction. There's guys spending a lot more money than there used to be then too. But uh, I think it's still kind of the same thing. Right now, so you running late models, did that kind of open up your your eyes or your family's eyes to just how big late model racing is, like in, in the northeast and the southeast and up here? Yeah, because, I mean, prior to it, we knew nothing nothing about it. My dad wasn't really familiar with how big the late model scene is. Like, I know everyone knows about the Snowball Derby and how big it is, but it's like you don't really know it that much until you're kind of like, you're seeing it from an inside perspective or, or you're there. So I think that's kind of what correlated to Caden getting a little more late model experience, like coming out of the Pinty series. Uh, mm. Cause we just realized like, I mean, Caden went to Wisconsin and he's racing against guys like Ty Majeski and Kyle Bush and uh, Sauter and guys like that. So it's like the, the late model racing, it's really like, it may not get that live, you know, national coverage that, the Pinty series or the the NASCAR series down south get, but it's still equally as competitive. And like, oh yeah, there's guys that are coming through late models and they're going to the Arca series or like to the truck series. So it's big. No, for sure. I would I would argue like it's it's easier to show up and get in good equipment, say, in a truck race and run well than try and beat Bubba Pollard and Ty Majeski yeah. in a late model. Yeah. Uh, so did you have aspirations and I don't know, have you run the snowflake or the snowball? I, derby? I did run the snowflake, uh, 2021. Okay. How did that go? It was good. Um, we were, we were top three every practice session. Um, we were fast and then right before qualifying. Um, so we were, we were lined up for qualifying. I mean, there's 50, 60 cars at the snowflake. So, I mean, they try and keep it as orderly as possible, but of course, I got switched with the guy. I was supposed to go ahead of him. He goes out ahead of me, and he, he wrecks in qualifying. Like, completely destroys the car. There's water. There's oil down. Jesus. Um, track gets, like, all the rubber on the track gets cold. But I went out. Uh, we qualified 18th, which, you know, wasn't spectacular. But, I mean, they put us in the show, which was what we were there for to begin with. Yep. Um, so we were happy with that. And then uh, go for the race about five laps in, um, the left front lower control, control arm snaps. Um, so like the car is basically operating like a monster truck, like yeah. the nose is rising like eight inches on the straightaway, just absolutely horrible to drive. But, uh, so no, it was, it was a good experience, like a completely different atmosphere. Um, we were happy, like I said, we were happy just to make the show really. Um, but once we got there and we saw the speed that we had, it was almost disappointing that we had that issue in, in the main event because, we still came out with a 14th place finish, which I mean, like it isn't spectacular at all, but it's just like what could have been had we not had those issues. With right. The car. You were an honest top five guy. Yeah, exactly. Right. Do you have aspirations to go and run the snowball derby? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm trying. Uh, I would have liked to run the snowflake last year as well. Uh, in 2022, we just couldn't quite put it together, but uh, hopefully we can, we can go back down this December. And you guys have a super late model to run? Uh, so we have a prolate model like okay. that we run in the APC series and that we ran on Snowflake as well. But the good thing about those cars is that it's all comparable. Um, so you can you can basically transform a prolate model into a super late model just by getting like the drivetrain uh, of the super late model. So it's all the same geometry for those cars. It's it's just the motor that changes going from class to class. Right. Now, uh, your brother did the uh 2017 he was part of the 2017 nascar next program 
was that kind of an eye opener for him and and you guys like you haven't been a part of it, right? No. Are you disappointed that you haven't been a part of it, or well, do you I th- think it means anything? I think it's. I don't think they're doing it anymore. Oh, really? No. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> I didn't even know. Yeah. I. I mean, I think Caden for him, it was a good experience in the sense that like he got, he got better with the media. He got better with talking. He understood more about like what kind of relationships building with sponsors and stuff like that. Um, I think Caden was a little disappointed that it didn't lead to more for him. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, after. 2017 in the Pinty series that was really his last time racing full-time like he hasn't he hasn't ran full-time since then in anything um and then I mean he's got a few opportunities uh, within the late models the LL super late models but uh overall I think I think in a sense he's he's happy where he's at adventuring but I think he does wish that he was the one driving and I think we all think that as well um for sure for sure so people who don't know he's down at Venturini Motorsports yeah. uh crew chiefing an ARCA car? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so he's running, he's crew chiefing Tony Bridinger at Daytona. Uh, I think he's running, he's crew chiefing a few races for her and then a few races. They got, they got a, it's kind of a car where there's no one running full time in. Like, it's just like, there's a few different short track guys coming in and out. But uh, I think he's doing 30 races or so over the summer. Wow. So, and yeah, like he's obviously a super talented guy. The youngest guy to win a, a Canadian NASCAR series. And so is, is he still kind of, trying to get his foot in the door a little bit, like as being a crew chief and hanging around the shop. I mean, trying to do it old school. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's still potential possibly. And I think that actually comes more for like, uh, more into the late model side of things because he's built a lot of connections there, like surrounding, uh, the late model world. Uh, cause he worked at Hamke prior to going to Venturini. So mm. I think, I think he's hoping for that opportunity to show up and, and, you know, hopefully it will one day, but like if he wasn't there, he'd never know. So I think it's bittersweet for him being in the crew chief position because he is in the grand scheme of things, but it's just like, he's not, he's not doing the thing that he would ultimately love to be doing. Right. Right. Now you guys, so you guys have always done it, you know, as a family out of a family shop, but the last two or three years, You've been, and for people who, you've been renting a ride uh, from Scott Steckley and running for his team, and people who don't know, he's arguably kind of the the top level of equipment in the Canadian NASCAR series. Why th- why that as opposed to you guys doing it yourself? So when, once Caden got out of the Pinty series, like we, we sold everything, so... And all we kind of have left from the Pinty series is the the big trailer, Um, but no cars or anything like that. So I think when it came to running with Scott, it was almost a no brainer in the sense that we had the support at the time, but we didn't really have the resources to build cars ourselves, and also the time uh, perspective of it because my dad like growing his business as well as like Ryden's now now Ryden's taking that kind of positioning running the weekly stuff where Caden and I were um, before so uh, you know my dad didn't have the time doesn't have the time available to him like like he once did yeah um, so I know like it, it's a lot of money to to build like you not only have to build an oval car you got to build a road course car too and then you got to get the engines like it wasn't I think my dad in a sense when Caden was done racing the Pinty series, he was kinda happy to like see the door and see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. So, um for me to run in the Pinty series, we always kinda said that we're not gonna we're not gonna do it by ourselves like we, we had done with Caden. So um like I, I had the right opportunities to, to go run for Scott and that's kinda just how it all worked out. Right. 
So last year, you know, you're running in good equipment. You're rookie of the year the year before. You won two races last year. And the big one being Oshwigan, the dirt race. That's like, that was kind of a big deal. 25 grand to win, right? And you're running against guys like um, Schrader, right? And Stuart Friesen, mm -hmm. like real dirt guys. What do you attribute that success to? <laughs> the thing about the Oshwigan weekend was I didn't really go in there with much confidence at all because, I mean, I, I guess it was the same for a lot of us, but no dirt experience mm -hmm. prior to that. Um, so on the Monday we were, we were struggling. I, I self spun like four times and, and every time I self spun, it was like, it just, please don't hit me. Yeah. Um, but, uh, cause no one really had much control or much grip. Like it was difficult. Um, but overnight, like I, I, I think I attribute much of that to the team. Um, they made a lot of changes to the car. They kind of figured it out with what we learned Monday and, uh, come Tuesday, I also did like some research trying to find out how these stock cars are supposed to handle on dirt. And I think it kind of brought a change in my driving style because on Monday I was kind of, you know, I was trying to try and drive it like a sprint car. Like I was trying to get the thing sideways, like, you know, get it pitched off. But like, that's really not how, that's not how the stock cars are meant to go around the dirt right. tracks. So, and I think I, I learned some from, you know, being around freezing and being around Schrader and, and seeing what they were doing. But uh, and no, on Tuesday, it was like I had a completely different car. Uh, it was just like it was it was good. It was cutting the corner. And uh, but I also had a lot of drive because, hmm. you, yeah, you guys ran like who finished second to you? Uh, Friesen. Friesen. Yeah. Friesen. Like that's got to feel good. You know, a guy who makes a living racing dirt mm -hmm. and running the trucks and runs up front in the trucks on dirt. Like that's that's got to feel good. Did you get any? uh accolades or anyone call you from kind of outside our little sphere of of canadian racing and saying hey good job or they were impressed or no 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 not really okay. uh, i like i think i think the pinty series like i think a lot of people are starting to see it now how exciting the pinty series is like the road course finishes and the like the oval finishes sunset last year that was a wild finish too so i mean people are starting to see how they get the traction with how the pinty series is but i think at the same time it's almost getting kind of a negative perspective in the sense that they see us they see us hitting each other and they see us pushing each other and I guess you know same things happen down south too but from an outside perspective it may be a little different um but no I mean after the Oshwigan when I didn't mm. it, it didn't really make any traction anywhere else what do you and elaborate on what you're saying there about about the perspective of uh, the negative perspective of kind of making con is it making contact for the win kind of thing so i i think like the fans love it i think the fans love to see us make contact for the win and like it's what it's what happens but uh i think like the bigger guys down south that are watching it like if it say you know a big guy is is watching it and he's uh seeing us hit each other and, and to win a race they're like well and maybe that guy's not good. Maybe he can just maybe he can just use the bumper to right. win the maybe race. Maybe he can't actually pass. It's hard if you don't. If it's hard if you don't watch the whole race. Like if these guys watch the whole race and they see how we're performing, like within the race and understanding how we got to the point where we were to to put us in position to win that race, then mm -hmm. I think the perspective would be a little better. But it's just like the the clips and the videos that surface of the Pindy series for the most part, they're us like they're us pushing each other around, uh, getting into each other. So. What is your perspective on on that kind of what's you know the precedence that's been set at Mostport and partially because of the truck racing there, uh, you know, or 
kind of any race, if you're going to get to the guy in the Pinty series on the last lap, it's expected that you're going to move him. Yeah, I think there's a point at which, like, it just becomes too far. Um, and I think so, Froschwegen, uh, obviously, I had the little crossover and in, in, in bump on Stuart Friesen when we were, when I was passing, but I think how, how I kind of felt going into that moment was, you know, I've been leading this race for 70 laps and no one's been able to touch me at all. Like I've been gone every time we get a green flag run. So in my mind, it was like, how, how can I lose this race? I just, I won't be able to, to live with myself. I mean, I, I haven't been around for too, too long, but I've also, I've lost a lot of races like on the last lap where I should have won. So but I think when when it comes to the point where you're kind of taking a Hail Mary swing at someone, mm-hmm. I think that's where it goes a little too far. And we've definitely seen that like over the past couple of years. And sometimes it's not even for the win. Sometimes it's with two or three laps to go as well. So it's just yep. like, like I said, I think I think there's a point at which it just comes too far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, growing up being an oval kid and then like you run really well on the road courses and I guess for people outside of NASCAR, they don't realize how limited time we get in these cars. Like it's insane. We don't, you get, you know, if you're lucky, you get one test day Mm -hmm. on a road course and then you show up and you race. What do you attribute your ability on the road courses to? Is that iRacing? So I think it's got a lot to do with iRacing and the simulator work. And then I think it's got a lot to do with the people around me as well. Um, Like obviously my dad, great road course racer and then mm. having tag as a teammate's helpful as well tag's always willing to give me that those tips and advice he loves he loves to help me um scott like scott's got a scott's definitely a ton of experience in the pindy series road course racing as well and then and then there's caden too uh which is a big help so going into each road course race like i i, I put hundreds of laps on these road courses before i get there and on i racing i watch videos as well like tons of uh tons of the clips from past races just trying to pick up whatever i can um so it's on i racing as well and then like obviously a couple of our canadian tracks well most of our canadian tracks aren't on i racing um so then kind of got to gravitate towards nascar 2003 which is a little different change of scenery because it's not as uh it's not as updated as uh, i racing is or as realistic but I think it's helpful. Um, it's mm-hmm. still just like you get that sense of learning the track um, as well, kind of figuring where your car needs to be. Um, so I think that's beneficial heading into a race weekend when like we're only going to get 45 minutes of practice at a track that takes a minute and a half to get around. So it's like right. we're getting 10 or 12 laps in. Um, yeah. When when did you start I racing? How old were you? I started iRacing uh, in the winter of 2015, so I would have been 11 or, yeah, 11, 10 or 11. Okay. And, like, now you're pretty heavy into it. How many hours would you say, I don't know, a day or a week are you putting on iRacing? It used to be a lot more. Um, since going off to school, it's c- definitely diminished because I didn't take my my setup to school with me. Oh. But, uh, you know, like in, in, in the summer when I wasn't doing anything, like I would say I was putting in at least at least three or four hours a day on average on iRacing. Uh, now it's definitely slowing down. Now I'm like, I'm lucky if I get five or six hours a week on iRacing. Um, but you know, that definitely, definitely changes like when we're in the heat of things in race season, because I'm not really doing it competitively in, in the race season. It's more just like I'm using iRacing as a, as an aid, um, mm. to help me learn these tracks and get more experience. So off season, 
you are running in specific like big races on iRacing or you're running in series? Uh, we do a little bit of, of series as well as big races. Um, like the international series was a big one for me recently. Um, that was like a, it was a six race series. I ended up winning the championship in that. Um, so then we also did, we do some other big races. There's, they always host like a, um, a big iRacing snowball derby. Um, so competing that as well. Um, and like some of these races on iRacing are, are paying, they're, they're paying big money to win, mm-hmm. like relatively to what it is. Like your expenses to go run iRacing are a lot less than like showing up to the track and buying three or four sets of tires. So yeah, uh, like the, the cost of the electricity once you have yeah. the setup. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's definitely a lot of capital to get into initially like iRacing, you know, you'll spend like you can get in into iRacing cheap if you want to. Sure. Like if you want to use like a desk and like put your wheel on. Okay. What do you think of Ty Majeski's setup? Do you do you <laughs> believe him? I don't know how he does it. I I don't know how he does it. Like, I've had the three screens for forever, and like you know you have the whole peripheral. Yeah. Um, and then I've tried people set up set up one screen. I'm like, I, I just can't do it. It's like I'm not even talking about the screens and necessarily. The laptop. Yeah. And yeah, so he runs it on a laptop, and then he runs like what is his wheel and pedals. He, They're like I think Logitech. He, I think he like clamps his wheel to the to yeah. the desk, which it would be a Logitech wheel. Yeah. Um, which I mean, it's like a cheapy little wheel. Yeah, I I started with a Logitech wheel too, and I I there's definitely no doubt that you can be just as fast with any wheel. I think it comes down to getting that realistic feel and mm. personal preference. So like the Logitech wheel, I can go as fast as I want, or I can go as fast with a Logitech wheel as I go with a Fanatec wheel, but. The Logitech wheel doesn't feel like I'm driving a real race car. Right. The, the Fanatec wheel feels like, you know, it feels a little more realistic. And that's that that's because the, the Logitech is more entry level, whereas the Fanatec's kind of getting up there. But right. from Ty's perspective, I think he just, you know, he's on the road so much and going places. I don't think he feels like he needs it. So And he obviously doesn't. I mean, he no. was the highest rated driver on iRacing for years. So Right. Which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny because I was in the NASCAR Next program the year before your brother. Yep. And I had no idea. Like, I, I didn't even know what NASCAR Next was. And then I didn't know who any of these guys were that I was in the program with. And everyone, Ty walks in and everyone's like, hey, like everyone knows who this guy is. I'm like, who is this guy? He doesn't <laughs> even race NASCAR. He races late models. And everyone's just digging questions about iRacing. And then I oh, look yeah. him up and I realize, oh, shit, this guy's got yeah. like the first and second account on iRacing. Yep. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on sim racing, I guess, going forward? Like, will it become, and maybe it already has, but will it become kind of like its own thing and discipline and you clearly enjoy it as a separate from real racing? Do you, how do you, how do you perceive it? So, I mean, I think sim racing has become its real thing uh realistically and i racing like they're having the nascar coke series which is like i mean it's a whole process to get into like you have to advance through three or four different rounds to get there but like i think they're competing for about one hundred and forty thousand dollar purse now and i know last wow. year it paid a hundred grand to win american like to win the championship so it's like some days i contemplate like sh- should i just commit to i racing because you know like it's a lot less stress than than real racing cool. because like I mean, every every year we enter a new season for real racing. It's like, am I going to race this year, or like, am right. I going to be able to put this together again? Um, but on i racing, you just you don't have that. So I mean, I think i racing is going to continue to develop, and I think all these brands and companies that are getting into i racing, a sponsor like Coke that's putting up that purse for the i racing event, they're realizing how much exposure they can really get 
mm. off iRacing in comparison to sponsoring a real race car and the value for it too. Um, right. it, it probably costs them a lot less to get into iRacing than it does for them to sponsor Kyle Busch's car or whatnot. And mm. they're probably getting a lot more value from the, the money that they're spending. So do you have, are you tempted to do it? I, I'm tempted to. But Can you like, get into it? Like, I don't know what it takes to qualify. So, like, it starts with a truck series. So, okay. I mean, all the, all the, um, like, there'll be two or 300 people that, like, attempt to do it initially. And everyone's organized based on, like, their I ratings, their individual I ratings, which, like, you build I rating based on your skill level. Like, you win a race, you gain I rating. You mm -hmm. lose a race, you lose I rating, basically. But um, so it starts out with the initial series, which is the trucks, and then they take 70 from that to another series, which is also another truck series. And then they take 20 from that to another series. Then you get to the Xfinity series. And then there you run you run against the bottom half or the the 20, yeah, the bottom half of the uh, the prior field in the Cup series. So, like, then they put together another group of 40, mm -hmm. and the top 20 from that advance back into, like, the, the Premier Series. Have you attempted? Uh, I've, like, I've fiddled around with the truck side of things. Like, I've done the first few races, but it's just, like, like I said, I just, I don't even, I mean, I was spending a lot of time on iRacing, but I'm not even putting in enough time to be competitive against these guys that are, putting in 12 hours a day or so Jeez, <laughs> like and i a big thing of once you get to that point is like the setup side of things so yeah. guys are literally using guys use motec in real life to read the telemetry of real cars like and there's guys doing that are doing that on iRacing, like trying to find every little bug or everything they can find on within the system so are there kind of like, yeah, bugs or glitches that people can exploit to be faster? Yeah, there is. And they get out really quickly. Um, so like a recent one was there was a tire heating exploit where basically you'd come out of the pits in qualifying and you'd drag your brakes at like 20 miles per hour or something like that. And you wouldn't get a black flag, but it would heat your tires up. Kay. So guys found out about this and they were gaining like one or two tenths in qualifying. And then, you know, iRacing learns about it. iRacing has got to figure out a way to, to stop it. And iRacing at a time was actually, they were banning people for using the exploits. Not banning people indefinitely, but like you'd get a week off or two weeks off for, for really? using the exploit. Huh. So instead of doing like the software fix, they were just banning people. Yeah. Um, so that's what it started with because they kind of just put out a, an announcement where like y you can't do this, like don't exploit our system. But then like eventually they've 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 made the software fixes. Um, they have it to where like you have to get up right to speed coming out of the pits unless you'll get a black flag. Um, so they do stuff like that. But uh, there's little exploits here and there that people find. But like I said, they go public really quick because one guy finds out he's all excited about it. Next, he tells the next guy. And then before you know it, the whole service knows about it. So Right. So you ma you made it sound very enticing. But then, then quickly, you know, you've got to spend 12 hours a day yeah. to be even competitive on iRacing. Yeah. Suddenly, it's not as as easy. And so and and, you know, one of the the good things and, and s serious downsides to our sport to, to racing cars is the cost. Like it's insane. Yeah. You know, the best guy in the world will never be discovered Yeah, simply exactly. because he's, he doesn't have the money to go racing. He doesn't have the sponsorship. He lives in a country where there's no racetracks, whatever it is, you know, so that, but that benefits guys who have the opportunity to do it because there's less competition. Right. So, in a sense, you know, racing in the physical world, there's probably less competition than iRacing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, 
like there is a lot of good drivers on iRacing for sure. Um, like there's guys that are, like I said, it takes a lot of time to be good at iRacing. But at the same point, if you get to that level, like there's guys that are making full on careers off it because like, you know, they get these deals with like Roush Fenway Keselowski sponsoring a, like a team for that, for that premier iRacing series. So now they got the, they got that, um, that connection with RFK um, same thing with, I think JGR has a team as well. So now these guys are getting that coverage from these big teams who have hundreds of thousands of followers on their account. Mm. And from there, they're able to start their own, like their own streaming platform because now they have this traffic. Um, and, and there's guys that are, they're making a living off streaming as well as running in the premier series because they're getting, they're getting checks every week for running in that iRacing series as well. They're getting subscribers. They're doing more brand deals on the advert on the uh, the streaming side of things because there's there there's an audience like there's people watching for sure so people like will you go in and watch i races um sometimes like if i'm if i'm not doing anything like i'll i'll watch people's streams because i got nothing better to do anyways at, at some points so um i i definitely it's it's definitely something that i would like to get into personally but it's like i just don't have the the time or commitment to yeah. to do something like that um, I've done it a few times here and there, but it's like, if you're not doing it regularly and you're not building that audience, then it's hard to really, it's hard to, to continue growing. Um, for sure. For sure. It's hard. Like, you know, as a, as a viewer, it's always, oh, wow, this looks great. That looks like fun. Uh, you know, but then putting in weekly mm-hmm. work to, to put out content for people, even if it's just streaming on iRacing, um, people expect that and that's what's necessary to grow i guess yeah now those you're talking about those are cup teams yeah that have a guy they they hire him as their driver what what's the deal yeah there? um so like the there's different cup teams that are getting involved i know like off the top of my head there's rfk and jgr and as well as like uh austin dylan started his own team i think so what his own iRacing team. His own iRacing team. Okay. So what they're doing is after you move out of that, uh, the third stage in the process, which is the Xfinity series, so now you have these these 40 guys that are, are they're qualified to run in the in the Premier Series. So mm-hmm. um, then there's all these teams, like it's not only the Cup teams, but there's other teams such as like Space Station Gaming, which I think, I think they're a brand like that are within the tech space. So they're sponsoring a team and they're hiring drivers. Like they're getting almost like a draft kind of thing uh they're they're getting these one or two drivers for their teams and i i think they're paying them like they they get uh, they have a contract like there's there's bonuses in there for winning races there's you know weekly bonuses for depending on where you finish and then obviously there's end of year stuff that's not only being paid by the teams but also by like i racing in the purse as well wow have uh do you make any money i racing I don't know. Okay. I the only time I make money i racing is when I do these bigger races, like these one off deals, such as the the virtual snowball derby or something like that, and then uh, win it. Um, I I have won some big ones on i racing. I I won uh, a virtual uh, all American four hundred. Okay, which that was I think that was five hundred bucks American to win. Which I mean, it was it was cool. It was like I I spent three or four hours of my time. I didn't travel to Nashville physically. I yeah. did it virtually and. I won 500 bucks American, which was big. And then uh, the International Series last year, I think I ended up with 2,000 American from that one. So, I mean, cool again. Uh, and that's those are like the times where you debate, like, <laughs> do I really, should I go for I, it? Do I go for it? Yeah. But, uh, no, at the same time, it's like I could never see myself physically not in a race car. It's right. I mean, because 
once you do it and you know this, like you get into a race car and you want to do it again, you want to do it again. So, yeah, I mean, it's almost worth the stress of like all the other things that come along with it. It's like anything. The, the more, the more effort you put in to have fun, you know, the bigger, the bigger the payoff is in the yeah. end. Uh, and you know, even I, I racing, it's, it's not as much effort as waking up at 4am loading yeah. up and, you know, having put together season's worth of sponsorship having put together a crew and all these guys coming out to help you and driving there and unloading and and doing it what is the goal for you as far as racing do you want to make a career out of it yeah um i think the short-term goal for me is i want to progress more uh down south Mm. um and like we're talking about the late model stuff earlier and that's kind of where i want to see myself like I, I really admire what, uh, like, Bubba Pollard, uh, Stephen Nassie, like, what those guys do. Like, mm. they run across the United States every single weekend, like, doing these huge races that are getting a lot of uh, a lot of attraction and, like, a lot of good guys. There's good competition every single weekend. So I admire what they do, and I think that's where I see myself as a next step is, mm. is trying to do more late model stuff around the States. But uh, obviously the underlying issue is, like, getting that funding and getting the connections because, you know, the connections we have in Canada, they're not the same ones that will want to go racing with me in the States as well. So it's just, there's, there's a difficult uh, aspect there. Right. Like I, I think in my eyes anyways, it's pretty, it'd be pretty difficult to find sponsorship to go late model racing in the States as opposed to going to the truck series do you have aspirations to do truck races and ex- i mean obviously it'd be great to do yeah. them but like are you you know taking steps forward to to get there yeah i mean so i think i think i see late model as a stepping stone there just because like you said it's harder to get sponsorship to go late model racing that's because sponsors place value on the nascar title like they sure. they love to hear nascar um, so even though you look at it and maybe these late model races are getting more coverage than possibly a, a truck series mm-hmm. event, like at the same time, it's a NASCAR truck series. So I think it starts with getting to late models and I think it starts with building a name there and a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think from there it's easier to, to get into the truck series, but at the same time, like it's not even how it was five or six years ago. Like, th- cause the problem is there's, there's, there's a lot more money in it than there, the there late model used stuff. to be. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like it's like the guys coming out of late model that are eligible for truck rides now. They they don't need to they don't need to rely on a sponsor to get there. They they can get there on no their matter own. what. They can yep. get there on their own. So it's it's harder being an outsider and needing to build that funding um, mm-hmm. to get there. Mm-hmm. So that's and will you continue to run the Canadian series as long as, as long as you can? Like I, I always look at it and I explain it to people outside that the Canadian series is really an end in itself. Like the K and N series and the ARCA and stuff. And even the truck series is really seen as a stepping stone. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, guys like DJ guys, like Dilly guys, like Tagliani and Ranger and so many guys are there to make a living here racing in Canada. It's the biggest series in Canada and they're content doing it. The cost isn't stupid. You're not running 38 weekends a year. You're running 12 or 13. And you can make some money doing it. Is that appealing to you to continue on? Or do you or you really want to go down to the States? Yeah, I, I like I admire what like Mark Dilley and, and Tag and, and Ranger and all those guys in DJ. I admire what they've been able to do like for the Pinty series. But I think like the difference between 
now and then was it's it's much harder to get to that point to be able to make a living from it. So like from my own perspective, I don't really see like running in the NASCAR Pindy series like being long term viable for me. Like mm. I don't I don't think it's something that I'd be able to make a living doing. Mm. I mean it's something that I enjoy for sure and I'd love to do it more like than not racing. Sure. Uh, definitely. But um no, I, I mean I, I kind of see myself similar on a similar path in uh, to Caden. Um, like I think I, I don't think I'm gonna last forever in the NASCAR Pindy series, but I think hopefully uh, I can start making like steps to to running the late models and maybe Arca and trucks down south as well. Okay, mm. so you're at university now for finance. You know if is the goal to work within the racing industry forever or if you know say you're whatever 40 years old and you know there's this alternative route which which a lot of people do and a lot of very successful race car drivers do is go and try and make money outside of the sport and go racing yeah i mean so that's kind of what i see myself leaning back on um so i think going to school like like I said, the the hard part for me right now in racing and getting down south, it's the funding. Like, it's trying to find that backing. So I see myself going to school um, and getting into business as, like, something like, you know, if I if I start my own business someday or make it big somewhere else, like, I can go and be a Bubba Pollard or a Stephen Nassie on, on my spare time. Like, mm-hmm. I, can, I can do that. But, like, the only downside of that is that I could be 30 or 40 years old at that point, um, which is, like, you know, it's unfortunate, but at least I'd be able to be doing what I love eventually. Right. Um, but no, I think I think progressing through school now and, and being on the business side of things, I think it's helping me um, in the sense that I'm understanding more of how um, these potential partners that we have, uh, sponsors, like I'm understanding where they see the value and mm. how we can like create that value for them, um, which which hopefully will, will continue to benefit me in the long run. Right, yeah, it's it's got to make sense for them. Other like exactly. otherwise, it's charity. Otherwise, they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart, and that doesn't last long term. No, no, it's got to make sense uh, for sure. No, and it's especially like when we're at a point where we are now. Like businesses aren't; they don't want to spend extra money. Like they're they're trying to cut costs. Like mm-hmm. at the point where we are with the economy, so it's like, what can we do to still be? racing and still get these partners um with the point where we're at Mm -hmm, for sure so some recent news uh ross chastain's move is illegal now (laughs) the the ringing around the outside on the wall what are your thoughts on that so i i don't know how nascar can like so I, I made I saw a really good point on I think it was Facebook or Twitter right after the announcement happened. It was the video of Kyle Larson chasing down Denny Hamlin at Darlington, and like Darlington is uh, it's a track where you run the outside around. So yeah. Kyle Larson on the last lap, he put it on the outside, he put it on the wall, and he he tried to drive around Denny Hamlin on the wall. And obviously that's a little different than running the wall at Martinsville mm-hmm. and creating a bit of big advantage there. So how does NASCAR decipher like? running the wall at a track where you always run the outside or doing what Ross Chastain did. So I think it needed to happen from a safety aspect of things unless guys were, but at the same point, I don't know if 
everyone's crazy enough to try that. Like, if I, I don't think so. If I'm at Sunset Speedway and I'm going for a win in the NASCAR Pinty Series, I'm not going to put it on the outside <laughs> wall and try no. and drive around it because I don't know what's going to happen. No, so. you're going to drive into the grandstands yeah. is what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have a body like that. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't even know if it was necessary for NASCAR to do anything because I don't know if it's something we'd ever even see again. Um, mm. Maybe maybe by Ross again, but I don't know if anyone else would do it. I don't know. Like, those cars, they look pretty sturdy. They are, yeah. And, you know, I think enough guys will spend time watching that tape that I think I think you would see a few guys try it. I don't know. I'd, like, what do you... Yeah, like, I was talking with my buddy. I think it was even on the podcast. We were saying, like, what do you do if they allow that next year? Right? <laughs> like, and you're running and you're running up front or running second. You both have to go to the wall. Yeah. I mean, it was NASCAR was in a tough position. I think that's why we can't really criticize NASCAR for doing what they did because mm. it's like they don't do anything and like, okay, everyone's on them because now there's a safety concern and there's a competition concern too because like you said, now everyone's going to be, you know, you got to run the wall to block the guy behind you. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I think there just has to be guidelines on when it can be done because I, I don't think like running the wall at Darlington is necessarily out of bounds out of bounds yeah. like because that's what you do at darlington you, you run up against the fence so i think leaning on that fence to try and get a win i i think that's just doing what needs to be done to to get first place so yeah i think it's different at martinsville so i think they just kind of have to decipher what is allowed and what's not and then yeah, i think in the same statement or at least the same time they're bringing rain tires to short tracks <laughs> for ovals yeah i don't know how i feel about that one <laughs> i mean i'd I've only run in the rain a handful of times and like last year at Like CTMP, on road courses. Yeah, and last year at CTMP I realized how much grip we, we have and it's really not that it's much not, on yeah. the rain. So I don't know how we're gonna expect them to go put on a show um at an oval on rain tires because I mean the whole thing with rain, like once the rain comes down you wanna get out of the rubber. Mm-hmm. And I mean at a at an oval, getting out of the rubber means maybe one or two more lanes to the outside. So how are guys gonna race? I feel like it's just gonna be follow the leader the whole time. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But, I mean, you can say that about any one-lane track. Yeah. Uh, guys are still going to pass. Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, I think it's just one of those things where I'm trying to think of other sports where they get, like, really rained out. And it's just so unfortunate for such a big, you know, yeah. s- stage, big venue. They sell all these tickets. Everyone's there. And then it's like, oh, it's it's raining. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah, you go, know, home. go home. <laughs> Come back next week. Yeah, like, and that that doesn't fly anymore with, with yeah. the way the media works now. You know, it did in the seventies and the eighties, but I think NASCAR's scrambling. Like, I think they have to do something. And yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's like I I can't really be too judgmental of it until I see it. It's mm. like, I mean, I was skeptical about them going to the LA Coliseum last year, and they mm. went there, and like it was it was a good show, in in my opinion, anyways. So I mean. Like their NASCAR's doing new things and everyone's gonna be skeptical of it, but it's like we really just kinda wait and see when it happens and then make our observances then. Right. Yeah, I don't criticize them for anything that everyone still gets to compete on an equal playing field. Like mm. it's oh the track's shitty. Everyone's, everyone's on the same track, the same track, you know. Yeah. It's there's no you know, it's gonna be a good show. Everyone's still competing. So whatever gimmick they throw, as long as it's equal for everyone, have yeah. at it. I exactly. Uh, so before I let you go, if you were to get your dream opportunity for one race and now you're balancing, 
the stage that it's on. Like, obviously, winning the Daytona 500 would be huge. But, and then you're balancing this, how, you know, how big the how big the audience is, but also your ability to win it in that one opportunity or have a good showing. Where would you like to race? In what series, what track kind of thing? I think, like, off the top of my head, it's got to be a snowball derby. Because I think, like... You know, you say Daytona and winning the Daytona 500 is big, but it's like, how how good is your chances to win Daytona? Because it's like it's it's completely a toss up at the end of Daytona. You never know. Um, I think like the Snowball Derby, it's just it's created so many NASCAR drivers. I mean, Eric Jones is only I I would say a very good portion of his success is attributed to him winning the Snowball Derby and beating Kyle Busch. So I think the Snowball Derby is where a lot of NASCAR drivers have been born, and I think that in the right opportunity with the right equipment, like I think that I could go to the snowball derby and I could, I could be competitive. Right. So in your eyes, you think if, if you go and have, yeah, that type of show where you, whatever, drive around the outside of Kyle Busch <laughs> or something like that, yeah. you know, he's going to say, Hey, come at least try my truck next year. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, it's definitely different than it is now. Like we talked about earlier, like it's just like, there's, a, there's a ton of people that can just, sign a check at any time to do something like that. So mm-hmm. I think it's different, but I think at the same time, like as these drivers tra- transition into owner roles, um, like mm-hmm. especially now there's Jimmy Johnson and Brad Keselowski and stuff like that, they're understanding more of like where they can pick out the real drivers. And I think they're almost starting to value uh, like the talent aspect more than um, than it was once, like in comparison to having the funding behind you. Right, because it's the drivers that are now the owners. Exactly. And they're they're kind of seeing like you know drivers, drivers. Yeah, drivers, drivers. Right. Right. That's a very good point. And yeah, they don't and I don't know, I guess Kyle Kyle Bush and Keslowski have run truck teams for quite some time and they still certainly take guys who will bring a paycheck at the end of the day. But I think I think a good example of that recently is Ryan Priest, and yeah. I'd say that because I don't think Ryan Priest like I think he's had had he's had some good opportunities and some good funding, but he doesn't have that ability to go run full time in the Cup Series without having some sort of uh, some sort of outside help or, or outside funding. So I think that that portion where like. I mean, Tony Stewart saw talent in Ryan Priest and is willing to put him in his Cup Series ride. I think that's a very good example of like where drivers are recognizing talent within other drivers and are willing to give him that opportunity. Sure. Yeah. Like I think what what happened with him? He took his entire budget and ran like a Joe Gibbs Xfinity ride and and won. Yeah. Um. So I think Priest has done. He's done like some stuff for Joe Gibbs, but then more recently he's been with Ford and uh, mm. he won a race with. DGR, I want to say, last year in the truck series, which opened some eyes. He either won a race or he ran really good. I think he won, though. And then, like, it's just these guys are realizing that Ryan Priest has he has the talent to be at the top level. He just doesn't have that ability to, to fund it himself. Right. So it's a snowball derby for you if you think you can get a good showing. Everyone's watching. Yes. Right? There's no conflict where people are watching no. other s- stuff snowball derbies at that time of the year where people don't have anything else to do so they're gonna go they're gonna tune up whatever place it's being broadcasted on and they're gonna watch the snowball derby so fair enough fair enough huh uh any other news or anything else to share with uh, with the audience no uh not really i think like in regards to the the pinty series in 2023 um 
I think we'll probably see me back there in like uh, in some some form, some shape or form. Uh, we're not really sure like the com- the full details of whether we can go full time again. But uh, no, just r- I'm really thankful to have the support behind me, especially the guys at RGC Sports, like doing what they've done for me. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, likewise, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's like hopefully we can end up back in the Pindy series in some form, and then uh, I think. Short-term plans, like like I said, we're just hoping to try and do as, as much late model racing in the States that we physically can, like, uh, from a uh, financial perspective. Right, and your dad is still very keen and gung-ho to show up to the track with you guys every weekend yeah. and yeah. help out. I think, uh, you know, I look at that, I think that that is such an advantage to have, like, a, a dad who really cares about your success and you know, is able to spend yeah. every weekend with you guys. I mean, I think Caden can say the same thing. Like we, we attribute all of our success to our father, really like the stuff that he's done for us. Like when we were talking about the core midget stuff, like that's not an easy thing to do when you're like, you know, you got a, you got your own job and your own professional life and then him doing his own racing as well. Um, so to be able to juggle all of that and, and also give us the opportunities to go racing as well from a very young age, I think it's, some, it's, I think it's like a point where he could have just let us be and like try and put us in a race car at 10 or 11 years old. But he, he tried to get us into it early. And I think that's really been very beneficial for uh, me, Kane and, uh, and Ryan as well. For sure. I feel that I, I say that because I feel the exact same way yeah. about my dad helping us out. So, um, man, tell the uh, audience where they can follow you. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm on all the social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, and, uh, Twitter at train Lapsovich. So, uh, Follow me there, and uh, hopefully we'll have some more updates about our 2023 season soon. Right on, and your Twitch stream soon. Yes, I'm going to start streaming at, at Train Lab Switch on Twitch as well. So Cool. Alrighty, peace. Cool, thank you. If you guys enjoyed this, give me a rating and share it with some friends.